I'd, I'd say the big thing is just don't let yourself be discouraged. Identify what it is you want and do whatever you have to do to get it. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? So I want to first start by just giving you guys a little bit of an update. So right now the property is just about to close the triplex that I bought in Hamilton. And one of the first things I'm doing is actually I'm hiring somebody to do all of the permits and the drawings so that I can actually legalize the triplex, which we're actually trying to go for a fourth unit. So I am working with Daniel Ott from White Willow Properties, and he is going to do all of that legwork because one of the things that I get asked a lot by a lot of you is how do I have a full-time job? How do I do everything? <laughs> well, the answer is I delegate as much as I can. So Daniel is going to be pulling a lot of the information and doing the drawings and is going to be going back and forth with the city to uh, to work on legalizing the property that I bought. So I will keep you guys up to date as we progress. Today's guest is none other than Elizabeth Milder, who actually is based in Victoria, BC. She's the co-owner of Expansion Properties and her and her partner Cole have become experts in my favorite strategy, which is the Burr model buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and of course, repeat. So she's been doing that in the Victoria market. And by identifying properties with the potential for adding additional square footage, Cole and Elizabeth add massive value to these properties that they purchase. They, for example, convert single family homes to multi-unit rentals, two, three, four units, etc. And Expansion Properties, the company, they currently have 11 units right now under management. They're in the process of building two new single family homes that will be ready around probably by the time that you guys hear this. So I would say June of this year. And she has a passion for entrepreneurialism and a desire to encourage other women to realize the power of real estate investing. Because it is true, like it still is a fairly male dominated industry. I think it's slowly it's changing, but it is still male dominated. But Elizabeth, she's recently started a vlog, which is actually awesome. And it's really great, guys. Check it out. It's Queens of Expansion. And she's been able to leverage her relationships in the industry, real estate industry, interviewing other successful women investors and developers. And she helps with offering insights and encouragement to many other investors out there. So check her out, check her vlog out, and you can actually reach out to Elizabeth. She'll provide some information, but it is in the show notes. So guys, my favorite method today, the burr and converting single family to two, three or four units to increase the cash flow and force appreciation. I mean, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful tool. So guys, I'm really excited. And don't forget to let me know how you guys are liking the podcast. Reach out to me, send me an email, sarah at sarahlarby.com. And also go grab my free, my free stuff. I have got a bunch of free stuff on my website. I've got some tenant screening tools. I also recently added 
all of the different fundamentals to look for when picking a location for where to invest. Where should I invest? I mean, it's ironic. It is the name of the podcast, but it outlines all of the different fundamentals and things that I look for before purchasing in Brantford or wherever else it is. So that is also free, guys. Go grab that and download it and you can definitely apply it to your own real estate investing and your lives as it is pertinent to anywhere. I mean, you guys can be in BC and still this applies. So hopefully you enjoy it and reach out to me with any questions. Again, my email, which is sarah at sarahlarby.com. So guys, really excited. Let's get on with the interview. So today's guest is Elizabeth Milder, all the way from Victoria and across the country. And I'm really, really excited to have Elizabeth on the show today. And she also does my favorite method, the burn method. So I want to talk about that today. Well, welcome, Elizabeth. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. Awesome. So before we really get started, can you let the listeners know a little bit about yourself and how you got started in investing in real estate? Yeah, for sure. So I have kind of a varied past, I guess. My family is actually involved in real estate investing, though that didn't happen until kind of later on in, in life for me. It's not anything that I grew up with or anything like that. But in addition to that, it was really the push from my partner. My partner and I started investing together about five years ago now. And when I say partner, my partner, Cole, he's my business partner, but he's also my partner partner. Okay. <laughs> he's my fiance now since. But yeah, so we, we started dating and he had actually done, essentially he had bought a condo and had built some equity in that condo, sold that and bought a single family house and put a suite in it. So he already had kind of that hands-on experience of doing the whole quote unquote house hacking. And it was really through that kind of exposure with him. And later we ended up doing a joint venture with friends. And it was kind of the mix of those two things that really saw a change in me. Like that's the point that, that I started to see the value in, in real estate investing. And then from there, we decided to do a major renovation. That was the, the, the first of the major renovations that we did. And from that point on, I was, I was hooked really through the process of redesigning a, a property, I kind of fell in love with that whole kind of design process and, and being there for the before and after. And I guess the rest is history, so to speak. Amazing. So how many years have you been investing now? It's been about, I, well, I guess it's about six years now. Okay. Yeah. So what does your portfolio consist of? Like what kind of renovations? What kind of properties have you renovated? I think you do a lot of singles to uh, converting into duplexes, triplexes, etc. Yeah, that's kind of our thing. So I guess two things that kind of set us apart more or less, we do character conversions, which some, some other people do too. That's not necessarily a, a big deal. But I guess the big thing for us is that we look for properties that have square footage potential. So the last couple of projects that we've done, we actually dug the, or actually last three projects we've done, we dug the basements out. So in addition to taking single family homes and turning them into multi-units, like you said, we are actually digging down the basement and creating a whole nother floor of, of uh, square footage. And in this case, a whole nother unit essentially. Yeah, so our portfolio now, we've done one each of those over the last couple of years. And then the house, so our project that we did last year, we took essentially a single family, turned it into four units. The project before that, 
very similar, but we went from single family to three units. And then the project before that, it was kind of a, a little bit different. We did a, a house lift and then re-poured the foundation and put a suite down below. And that's actually the house that we live in now. Okay. And we're in the process. We've done a couple of joint ventures too, where we did uh, pretty significant renovations again, but then sold. And right now we're in the process of building two new single family homes with suites. And that's first for us. It's our first time building new. Wow. Okay. So lots of questions that I have. So how did you decide that strategy? There's a lot of people that are probably wondering, there's tons of strategies, which one do I pick? And so what are some of the benefits of doing the types of strategy that you're doing and the burr and conversions like that? Yeah. Well, the big thing with the conversions. So the way that rules are right now in Victoria, if we say we, we found that we'll use the last project that we did. It's a house on Begbie Street, actually. So that project that we did on Begbie, if we had bought that property and wanted to say, knock the house down to build something new, because it was only a single family home, we would only be able to rebuild that property as a single family. But under the house conversion regulations in Victoria, there there are some parameters that establish whether or not you can actually go through that process of turning it into multi-units. But following those house conversion guidelines, you're actually allowed to do that and and take a single family to multi-unit. So it's kind of a no-brainer when it when it comes to, I guess, settling on that as a method because it just means that you're able to maximize the, the rent, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and the number of units in a property. And in terms of <laughs> digging down basements, it's a pretty hefty work scope, as you can imagine. And it's certainly, we've had a pretty steep learning curve in, in figuring out how to go about that process. But again, it's just... A matter of being able to maximize the square footage in the properties that we find. So again, I kind of look at it like it is a bit of a of a no-brainer because you were essentially look buying a property that is more or less two thousand square feet of habitable space and turning that into three instead. So are you cash flowing on these properties? We are, yeah. Okay, and you're refinancing them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So. Yeah. Where would somebody find out whether if they have a house, like what do you do in terms of a process to figure out if you can convert it as a triplex or a fourplex? Well, we pretty much have a checklist of things that whenever we're looking at a property, they have to meet these certain conditions. And again, it just, it's just based on what the house conversion regulation stipulates. So for instance, they have to be built before 1920. They have to have a certain number of square footage. We've identified in Victoria, because of the rents that you can get and that kind of thing, we look at a minimum of three to four units. So that's, that's kind of the starting point of what establishes when we're looking at a property, whether or not we'd even kind of continue to investigate. Mm-hmm. So the house conversion regulation is pretty clear. It basically says that in order for you to turn it into X number of units, you have to meet this level of square footage. So once we know that there's that potential, even if it's not yet habitable space, but if we know that there's a basement and there's, you know, X number of square footage already, then that's kind of the first hurdle. And then the other thing that we're looking for, the other big thing is enough land or some sort of configuration that would actually be able to support parking, because that's the other thing. If you're turning what is currently a single family 
dwelling into multiple units, you also have to be able to provide parking to support that. Right. And I think it has to be like parallel, right? You can't have a car in front of the other. Does it have to be where you've got a car that's parallel to the other so they can all get out? Yeah, well, and actually, there's a few kind of additional stipulations as well, like City of Victoria won't allow you to have new designated parking at the front of the property. So it has to be at the back. And then there's requirements as well for how much of the space actually has to be maintained as land, like landscaped, basically. There's, and that's actually like 30% of the backyard space. And then just like you're saying, yeah, you have to have clear access as well. So there's a lot that goes into kind of determining whether or not a property will work. And we usually start with these kind of big pieces. We'll look and make sure that the square footage is there. We'll look and make sure that we have enough exterior space that we could support parking. But then every time you kind of dig into whatever that particular, the circumstances of that property is, which with each piece, it's like you have to uncover and ask more questions. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, it can be a convoluted process, but we've now, because we've been through this so many times, we've come up with, like I said, kind of like a checklist where we can go through and, and we've even sent this to realtors and said, look, like these are the parameters that we'd have to meet in order to essentially be interested in investigating a property. So so do you do your due diligence after you have it under contract or prior to making an offer? Usually we'll do, we'll do a bit of it before, but a lot of the heavier kind of stuff, like if we're, if we're pulling permits, for instance, from the city of Victoria, it would be after at least we have an offer in because we need owner's authorization to get that information too. So. Right. Absolutely. And, and just for out of curiosity, how long does it take for the city to get you those answers back? And by then, is your, do you have to remove your conditions? Sometimes longer, <laughs> sometimes uh, longer than we'd like. But I think at this point, again, because we've, we've been into this for a few years now, mm-hmm. we usually, what we do at the outset when we are investigating a property, say we've put an offer in and we have two weeks, we'll send emails or even a phone call to the people that we need to talk to and say, look, these are our timelines. And we'll try to get everything dealt with within that time frame. We've never run into a situation yet, knock on wood, where we've kind of ran into trouble with that. We have right. requested extensions and stuff before, because sometimes you have, have to do that. But yeah, the, that timeline has never really been an issue for us. We're, we're usually able to get the information that we need. Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors. 
and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Okay. All right. Good. So it sounds like you mentioned your realtor. You've got to have a good team of people in place to be able to be successful doing something like that. So who would you say are your key people on your team that are just integral to your success? Oh my God, so many. We have a real estate agent that we heavily depend on. We've got a phenomenal accountant. We've got a great real estate lawyer. I mean, really, there's, there's so, so many now, even when it comes to our projects, we have a complete fleet of trades that we depend on and that we've used from kind of project to project year to year. And that has been invaluable, especially in the market as, as it is in Victoria. Construction has been so rampant over the last few years that I don't know if you guys have struggled with the same in Ontario, but our trades are so busy that sometimes it's impossible even just to get a quote. So that has been hugely beneficial is the fact that we have those relationships established and we're able to depend, you know, on these, on these guys and they show up when, when we ask and they, you know, they get us quote backs when we need them and, and that kind of thing. But that's, I know that's a challenge for a lot of people kind of starting out. Right. I mean, you keep them busy, right? So they stay with you, you finish one project, you put them on another that's one thing though, it could make or break your, <laughs> your deal if you've got the wrong contractor doing the project. And so what are some of the things that somebody wants to do or should be doing ahead of time to hire that right contractor? You know, I'd say really what, what we've used kind of to our benefit is, is really the whole word of mouth. Um, there's pretty much every, every one of the contractors that we've used has been recommended by someone else. And we go off of what their experience was with whatever that project, you know, was that they had them that hired on making sure, asking those questions, like, do they show up when they say they're going to, are they on budget? Have you had to haggle over invoicing and that kind of thing? So really it's, it's been a lot of word of mouth. I think that that probably is the best piece of advice that I could offer to someone is be, be wary of just hiring someone out of the blue and not getting some sort of kind of recommendation or, or review. We have had a couple of situations like that where we've hired a contractor off of like Use Victoria or something like that. And nothing that's been majorly catastrophic, but 
a couple of situations that went awry and and so we kind of learned from that so okay um, yeah are you still getting three quotes or are you just getting your regular main contractors to give you a quote on each project yeah there's a few things like it kind of depends on on circumstances i guess but usually with i don't know every 12 months to 18 18 months we're we're double checking prices okay. and yeah we'll get two or three two or three quotes even if it's someone that we go back to just to make sure that we're still that their numbers are still kind of within reality <laughs> yeah no absolutely that makes sense i mean definitely having a good team in place is uh, is is very crucial now you mentioned joint ventures in the beginning and, and working with others can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah, so we did one joint venture that was kind of, I guess, more your your standard joint venture in the sense that we had a contract and all that kind of stuff, and that was with friends of ours. And we're we're in the process actually of of trying to get another one off the ground with some more other other friends of ours, another couple. And what can I say about that? Cole and I have been pretty fortunate. We both had pretty high paying jobs that allowed us the opportunity to qualify for the projects that we've done so far. So everything up to this point, we own ourselves, but now we're getting to a position that, you know, like anyone does, you start running out of principal, you start running out of mortgage qualifying. So now we're kind of open to this prospect of doing joint ventures in a buy and hold scenario, which we've never actually done before. So bit of, bit of a learning experience for, for us, but Again, we rely on a lot of those professionals that I mentioned before, like our real estate agent and accountant and uh, real estate lawyer and that kind of thing to, to guide us. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. I don't no, know if no, that that's answered good. your question. <laughs> no, it's, it's perfect. So your joint ventures now, I mean, I'm in a similar boat as you. I mean, I still have some money and I still have some financing ability, but it definitely gets harder as you acquire more and you're holding more. And so obviously you've got a lot of experience now. Are you going to be more the active partner and then somebody else is going to be the money partner and financing partner? Is that how you're structuring it? Yeah, that's how we'd structure it. Yeah. Okay. So standard with a joint venture agreement and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Standard, I guess, in the sense, the way that, the way that we approach joint venture, this was actually taught to us by Russell Westcott. He's a, he's kind of, well, he's a real estate coach and he's done a lot of investing himself and he's a speaker and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he was actually just on my podcast. We just aired his episode. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, oh the, you know what? That's funny because he had mentioned that that was coming up, but I didn't realize oh, it had aired already. Yeah, oh, well, it just like he was the last episode, but when this comes okay. out, it'll probably be sometime in May. It'll be, you know, a few months out now. But. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, he kind of broke this down, and I'm, I don't know if maybe he even talked about this on the interview, but the four, the four M's, mortgage, let's see if I can remember, mortgage, money, mastery, and management. So yeah, we look at it as, as that. We're managing the project. We have the mastery and the experience, so that kind of constitutes our 50% that we can expect to get out of the deal, and then any partners that we bring on, they would be doing the bringing the money and the mortgage. And so that constitutes their 50%. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So how you, so your joint mentors right now have been people that you know, your friends that haven't started investing in real estate and that kind of are seeing you go. Is that kind of what it is? So the, the first one that we did was with friends that are also investors, though they, they're a little bit different. Cole and I are very much about buy and hold, even though we're building these, these two new homes 
our main strategy is buy and hold. And these other friends of ours, they, they tend to do flips. So we did a flip project with them. Um, and, and these, these new joint venture partners that we're looking at doing a, a project with, they similarly, they have actually rental properties themselves, but they don't have the experience with doing a major renovation. And they, they see what we've done with our properties and see the, the value the, that we bring to it. And, and so they actually approached us and, and asked about the possibility of us working together. So yeah, it's kind of funny how that came about. We, it wasn't really something that we were pursuing actively. So yeah, it's funny how those things kind of happen, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at some point everyone's going to be doing joint ventures. So this is what I say when people go to networking events or meet others, they're not your competition. They're probably going to be some type of partner or mentor or mentee at some point. So, you know, it's important to help each other out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially in the real estate industry is so small. <laughs> it is. I mean, it really is. I, th I feel like everyone kind of knows each other in some extent and capacity. So yeah, for sure. Branding and, uh, and your reputation definitely is everything. Oh yeah. Big time. So in terms of financing and scaling up, and you mentioned your mortgage broker, what are some things to consider when hiring or working with a mortgage broker? I guess for the projects that we've been doing, because I guess one of the things that we've employed that have, has worked really to our advantage is we use construction draw mortgages for these uh, renovations that we do. So most people have heard of like a, where you, you get a mortgage that a mortgage plus, plus improvements. improvements. Yeah. Yeah. So it's similar to that, but just on a much larger scale. So for instance, our last project that we did, the renovation cost was about 425,000. So it's like I said, similar to that purchase plus improvements, but just for a larger dollar amount. And I guess what's a little bit different with that too, is you actually have to, at the outset, you submit a budget and they basically release money uh, going through the project based on the percentage that they identify to completion. And anyways, to get back to the question that you asked, for us, the very first thing is finding really just someone who has experience with actually doing those construction draw mortgages because there's not a lot of mortgage brokers out there that do. And then from there, it's finding, going through the process of actually finding the offer that's kind of most competitive in terms of what the actual, what the interest rate is, what the terms are, you know, the ease of, of getting money released and how they go about that assessment process. Yeah, it's, it really, we depend on the expertise of the broker. Absolutely. I think that's a key part of, of everybody's team is to have a broker rather than a bank, because if you're scaling up at some point, you are going to be capped for, with any bank. And so working with a mortgage broker, even just the fact that they have access to private funds and private money, in addition to banks, credit unions, companies, I mean, there's endless opportunities to, to be able to scale your portfolio. Awesome. Yeah. So, so currently you're doing a lot of, of things with real estate. What's the reason behind it? Like, what's your why? Well, Cole and I were, it's a little bit, well, yeah, well, a little bit different. I don't know. Mine is multifold, I guess. The big, big thing for me is having, having some permanence. That's one of the things that I love so much about real estate is it, it is such a permanent thing. And there's, there's incredible longevity that can come from that beyond like we imagine that the properties that we have will own for decades. 
and hopefully we'll be passing on to our, our kids. That means a lot to me, being able to offer that to our future children and having something that's more or less like in, in stone that represents work, work that we've done and that kind of more or less holds our, holds our name. It's something I'm, I'm really proud of, taking these really pretty dilapidated homes and turning, making them beautiful again. And because we're going through and using that house conversion regulation, these houses are their character homes in Victoria. So they have a lot of value outside of even just providing homes and shelter for people. They have a lot of cultural, cultural value in Victoria because, you know, because they're such old properties. And the cup, like the properties, the last few projects that we've done, there's, there are really cool stories behind them too. So there's all that that's, that's tied into that, the, the kind of the permanence piece for me. And then it's also having the freedom and the ability to do something that, that really drives me. I have a full-time job and I'm super thankful for my career, but it doesn't hold the same sort of, um, how do I say this? The same... I don't know. It doesn't offer the same excitement to me that excitement to me that real estate does. I really like the process of starting a project and seeing a tired property and making it new and and beautiful, mm-hmm. and and the design and everything through that. That's that's something that I've learned through the years that that I'm actually good at too. So so there's that piece as well. It's like it's something that I can excel at. And then, and then of course, there's the, the piece too of eventually offering some, some freedom. Eventually, I would like to have more freedom from the nine to five. And then the last thing is that it offers us an opportunity to give back where we support a local organization called Threshold Housing Society, and they provide transitional housing and life skills training to youth at risk of homelessness here in Victoria. So it's multifaceted. There's a lot of things about it that really kind of, kind of appeal, but Amazing. Very, very good detailed why. It, definitely it's great to hear and you put so much thought behind it. And I'm a big believer real estate is just a vehicle to get you to your goals. And it's great to, to hear your reasoning and your why and why you do this. Tell us about your vlog, Queens of Expansion. What's that all about? Yeah. So Queens of Expansion, I, I kind of started because I hear, and I'm sure Sarah, you can speak to this as well, but I hear a lot of similar language from women when, when I tell them that I'm a real estate investor and, and what Cole and I do. And it, a lot of it often comes down to comments of, oh, I could never do what you do. And how do you manage that? And, and how have you learned to, to be in a man's world and, and all this kind of stuff? Because of course, real estate is male dominated. And from that, I just kind of, it, it made me realize that more women need to be feel empowered in their ability to invest in real estate. And it came from a place for me too, because I had, like I said, I, I was kind of aware of real estate investing through family. And I had similar fears before I started investing with my partner about whether or not I was actually capable of doing something like that. And now that I've been through the process of, of doing these major renovations, and learned a lot about it, I recognized that really there's no, there's no reason I couldn't have done this on my own or, or can't do this on my own kind of going forward. So I really think it's important to share that message and for women to realize it doesn't matter. You don't need to be a man. You don't need, you don't need to be mechanically inclined or necessarily useful on tools or anything like that. We're at the point now where we hire most 
most of the work anyways. So it doesn't matter what your gender is. Yeah. So Queens of Expansion was just kind of born from that idea of sharing, sharing that experience and really just trying to give, put the information out there of how you can pursue real estate investing and yeah, kind of go from there. Okay. Amazing. That's awesome. I love it. So the next part is our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. Every guest gets the same question and you are going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sure. Question number one, your favorite real estate investing book ever? Just real estate only. Well, I, you know, I'd have to say own your piece of the earth. It's actually, it was written by Irene Strong, um, mortgage broker actually based out of Vancouver that I had the opportunity to meet. And what I really liked about her book is she gives such a good overall explanation of the financial services industry and mortgages. And she also throughout the course of the book ties in her own story of how she got into real estate investing. And I just found like, I'm not kidding. I couldn't put it down for, for to be able to say that about a book that's primarily about mortgages. I I'd say is pretty impactful. Right. But I, I'm not kidding. I couldn't put it down. It was so well written. And the fact that she broke up the monotony of learning about the kind of finances behind mortgages and that kind of thing, but tying that into your, her personal story, it just, it made it just so much more accessible and interesting, I guess. So yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you for sharing. That's a first one on the podcast. Nice. (laughs) Number two, what is your favorite podcast? My all time favorite or like real estate related? It could be anything. I'd say right now, Lewis Howe's podcast is, is pretty awesome. I don't know if you've ever listened to his, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. And it's kind of across the board. He talks about entrepreneurial, entrepreneurialism and just kind of being a a better person, I guess. Okay, perfect. Question number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? I'm a speed junkie. So I grew up riding dirt bikes. I I love that. My partner and I both have motorcycles. So I guess that's kind of a passion of mine is, is, uh, bikes. And I I also run quite a bit and am a a yogi. So all those kind of things are are up there for me. Hey, very cool. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Well, I'm pretty sure I would do anything I could to buy my first property again. I think at this point with the experience that I have, it would probably be doing whatever I had to do to make a joint venture work. (laughs) Okay. All right. Great answer. And last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? 50,000? Yeah. Well, that would be challenging here in Victoria. So I guess I would recommend looking there because there's plenty of places you can invest in Canada where you don't necessarily need a lot of money up front where property values are lower, but that still can get you quite a bit of return on investment. So I would suggest either investigating an area like that or look, look into doing a joint venture. Okay. All right. Perfect. And so if somebody wanted to reach out and know more about you, Elizabeth, where can they go? Um, we have a, an account on Instagram uh, for all of our projects and that's under expansion properties. Or of course you could follow me at Queens of Expansion on Instagram as well. And of course on Facebook too. And the other way would just send me an email at Elizabeth at expansionproperties.com. Okay, excellent. And any last words of advice before we wrap this up? I'd, I'd say the big thing is just don't let yourself be discouraged. Identify what it is you want and do whatever you have to do to get it. 
Amazing. Well, on that note, thank you so much. It was really insightful to have you on the podcast and I'm really looking forward to lots more potentially down the road where we can have you back and you've got a great strategy. You're very successful out in Victoria. So thank you very much. Yeah. Happy to share. Thanks for having me on. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest. 